1: Did anyone grow up or still read Guinness Book of World Records? So when I was in high school, um, I went to school at Dubbo South High School and most years I won some kind of English award and that was mostly because I could spell my first and last names, which put me above most people. So one of the prizes for that was a $50 book voucher and every year I'd go and get the Guinness Book of World Records and one of the things in there, they have this list of, um, you know, the oldest people, oldest, you know, how long, who's been living the oldest, and and I'd always look up that category, seeing what I can learn from their tips, you know, how they've lived so long. And uh, I, it all came back to me a couple of weeks ago because I read an article about someone who's apparently become the oldest living person just recently. But I was going to go through the top three and see what we can learn from them. So when I was reading these Guinness Book of Water Records, number three was a, a uh, lady called... Sarah Krause. So her family said that she's a very tranquil person and nothing phases her. Other facts about her, she ate eggs every day and slept a lot. Sometimes she slept for days on end so that she had to be fed while she slept, which made me think, like, Ross McWherter, Guinness Book of World Records, are you sure she's still alive? Have you checked her pulse? Is she still living? But that was her. The second one was Jean Calment. So she woke up at 6.45 every day and prayed, giving thanks to God for the beautiful day she was going to have. She would then sit in her armchair and do gymnastics while listening to her headphones with her eyes closed. Which I don't know what the definition of gymnastics is, but um, she did say... <laughs> I, so she did it for a couple of hours. Is that my sermon done? If I'd, um, So this sitting gymnastics apparently included mostly flexing her hands because, this is her quote... A distinguished woman must have beautiful hands. She also smokes four cigars a day. <laughs> so I don't... Um, and this is the article I came across um, a couple of weeks ago. So this article said, A Russian woman is claiming to be the oldest person in the world, but says her upcoming 129th birthday is nothing but punishment. So Koku Istanbulova, definitely how you pronounce it, from Chechnya says she's never been happy in her entire life and has no idea how she's managed to live this long. (laughs) The article then quotes her straight after that paragraph and says, she said, I've never been happy in my entire life and have no idea how I've managed to live that long, which is exactly what I just said, but she said, I've not enjoyed a single day of my life. I've always worked hard digging in my garden. I'm tired. My long life is a punishment from God. Now, I don't know if you can learn anything from those... People about how to live long lives, but I definitely relate to that last lady. I don't know if there's anyone else that does. Um, You know, whilst some people find it very easy to get up and thank God for the beautiful day they're going to have, we're going to have to find it more like feeling like life's punishment from God. You know, who has days or weeks or months or or longer when it feels like that? So there was this. Christian singer songwriter who died about twenty years ago um called Rich Mullins and I, I got into his music just for one reason. I heard this um interview with him once and so he was a kind of melancholy kind of guy, very quiet, introspective, you know, intelligent, creative, but you know, could always see you know the negative side of life. And there's this story about him once that his friends came up to him and said, Yeah, Rich, you know, why are you always you know, why are you always so sad? They said, cheer up, Rich, God loves you. And he looked at them and said, what does that matter? God loves everyone. It just proves that he's got no taste. And um, I kind of thought, you know, it's a, it's a funny kind of quote, um, but my kind of melancholy side was thinking, yeah, finally this guy gets it. You know, he understands you're speaking my language. But it's also a very, uh, a very destructive you know, lie that the devil tries to tell us. So today is for all those melancholy kind of people. This is my, you know, take on, on the freedom series we're going to be you know, be talking through. It's uh, it's for those people that when Pastor Paul says, "High five someone next to you," you think, oh, seriously? I'm going to just keep to myself." <laughs> when he says, to, "You know, turn to someone and say, you know, you look good today," ah, oh, yeah, that's, that's good enough, isn't it? So. Having said that, what I want to talk about today is obviously joy. Um, <laughs> uh, the joy of the Lord. So, because in my experience, um, you're loving God with your actions can often be easier than loving God with your thoughts. You know, God often convicts me that I've given him my actions, I've sacrificed my life, but I've never given him my thoughts. Um, so. Uh, Daniel, you don't want to put that first verse up. We're going to start with um, you know, the classic verse on, on uh, your thoughts, um, which is from Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. So it says, oh, it's gone again, but uh, it says, therefore I urge you, brothers, oh, obviously I've memorised it, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Um, oh, okay, I missed a few bits. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer, your, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Yeah. So there's really two parts to that, to that um, passage. You know, the first part, verse 1, says we need to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Um, you know, and there's, certain, there's a certain level of transformation that comes by giving our, our lives as a sacrifice. Um, but if I'm gonna be truly transformed, we need to move into Romans chapter 12, verse two to be able to think a different way. And as much as we might like it to, Romans 12:2 does doesn't say, be transformed by trying harder or be transformed by punishing yourself more or be transformed by learning more or be transformed by yeah, following the 21 steps to this or the seven laws for that, it says we need to renew your mind. So if I'm going to be transformed, I need to be renewing my mind, which actually takes the limits off your life because there's no limit to the amount that your mind can be renewed. So there's no limit to the way that your life can be transformed. And I was, I was realizing that yeah, God kind of gave me this word that... Joy is the fruit of correct belief. You know, joy is the evidence that your beliefs are true. And the Bible has this, this uh, word that it uses when it comes to your thought patterns, and that word strongholds. Um, and strongholds are a, a, a thought pattern that we have that's built on you know, our, our past. And these, thought, these are strongholds we build up maybe based on nothing, maybe based on illogical things, things that don't exist. But we go through our lives trying to find defence for these strongholds. You know, scientists have, have um, you know, looked at the way our brain works and, and the way our brain works is it wants to find evidence for things that we already believe. It wants to shore up these strongholds in our mind. Um, so they say that you see life through what you already believe. So if you have a stronghold of rejection, you go through your whole life trying to find evidence for that rejection and you're going to... You know, move away from anything that shows that you're accepted. Because we're all about trying to find and shore up defences for our strongholds. Yeah, and the proof that we gather for these strongholds, it doesn't have to be logical. Often it's not logical. Often it's completely illogical. But we take it as proof and build up that stronghold. So I had this friend in high school um, called Ben Gregg. And one of his main talents was that he could tell you, you could give him any song, and he could tell you how long it went for. So all the big songs in the nineties, um, you know, you'd ask him how long it went for, and he would, you know, so it'd be like, yeah, Bittersweet Symphony, four minutes thirty-two seconds, like Tub Thumping, four minutes thirty-five seconds, Um Bop, four minutes twenty-five seconds. All, all the big ones like that. Um, the other thing about him is he wanted to be a professional boxer. So the last time I ever saw him. Um, I was on a bus going back to Sydney after university holidays, and he was on there as well. He was on the bus he wanted to go to Sydney and he was going to train for boxing i don 't think he 'd ever at this stage ever been in a boxing ring or put on gloves or anything and from what I gathered from that bus trip, most of his preparation had been reading Fight mag, but he had he had um, worked out his entrance song that he was going to come into you know, whenever he got to his first boxing match so we were on this bus trip and um, we were both listening to our discmans because that's what we had then. Um, actually, my father-in-law still has a discman. He thinks it's the pinnacle of technology. So yeah, he refuses to move on from that. Um, anyway, so we are listening to our discman and he, he at one stage he, um, he said, ''Oh, listen to this. This is the entrance song that I'm going to come into for my first boxing fight.'' And I put the, uh, the headphones on and it, and it goes... Tell me why ain't nothing but a heartache Tell me why ain't nothing but a mistake Tell me why I never want to hear you say I want it that way So I took them off and he said, what do you think? I said, yeah, good, good choice. Like, Nick Carter would intimidate anyone. I think you're going to be really good. So I just, I keep waiting. I turn on, you know, main events sometimes. I keep waiting for, the, you know, Michael Buffer come out and say, you're challenging for the world of weight title. You're fighting out of Dubbo, New South Wales. Ben Gregg, and he come out to, you know, shadow boxing and stuff. You are my fire, my one desire. Hoodie on like that. Believe when I say I want it that way. Um, So that hasn't happened yet. Um, Anyway, he was getting off the bus at Parramatta. I was going a little bit further into Central. And um, just before I got off, he asked me what I was listening to on my Discman. And I said, um, November Rain, Guns N' Roses. And so I put my Discman back on. The bus comes into Parramatta. And he gets up and walks a few steps down the... I'll to get out, turns around, says, November rain, eight minutes, 48 seconds, that's good value, turns around and gets <laughs> off the bus, and that's the last time I ever saw him, and I still remember though, what good value of a song that, you know, Guns N' Roses song November rain is, because, but anyway, that's not the point of this story, the point is this, <laughs> when, when we would be at school, we'd be walking through the playground, uh, Ben and I, and there'd be a girl, you know, 10 minutes in front of us and she'd wave. And um, Ben was the type of guy, he'd always wave back at her. Like, how are you going? And I'd say, what are, you, what are you doing? Her friends are behind us, she's waving to them. She's not waving to us. And um, he'd go, no, no, she's not. How are you going? I said, no, no, she, let's see. They end up talking, obviously, because she's waving to them. They said, no, she's just playing hard to get. That's, that's what they do. Um, and i said, say, no, no, she's not. She's ignoring you. No, no, she is, because she wants me so much. <laughs> she didn't, but, see, he was building strongholds. I mean, we were both building strongholds. My stronghold was, no one's going to want to talk to me. His stronghold was, every girl in this school wants me. <laughs> they, they just don't know it yet. <laughs> but they will. Um, so we always find evidence for you know, our own beliefs, you know, so why don't we make that and and often that evidence is completely irrational, so why don't we make that evidence uplifting and inspiring, you know, and, and motivating irrational evidence? Yeah, because renewing your mind isn't something that happens by osmosis. It's not something that's just given to us. It's through work. It's through insisting that we believe certain truths. It's through insisting that we believe we're accepted even when we feel rejected or it's insisting that you believe that you're loved even when you feel unlovable. It's insisting that we believe that we're anointed even when we don't feel anointed. Yeah this morning I just want to break off that that kind of passivity that feeling that we have that you know if God wants me to have something he knows where I am yeah he'll come and find me. That, that, that's not the way that that God has it intended for us. I just want to speak over you, church, just this verse from just reading it last night from 2 Corinthians 10, where it says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to God. So renewing your mind means to take every thought captive. It's not just sitting back and and uh, and letting those thoughts happen. Yeah, the word captive means... i looked look this up in the dictionaries. Or the word captive means to control, to conquer, to bring into submission. You take captive. You're not given captives. You, know, you take them. You know, it's an aggressive attacking word. So the greatest spiritual warfare that we can do starts with our own beliefs. All right. Second slide. Daniel, you back there now? Uh, so second slide. Um, my second point is... Um, and I was really happy that, that Daniel talked about what he did at, at um, Communion, because it really links in with what I want to talk about in our past this morning. And a context to this second verse, when it's up, was that Paul was writing to a church that was arguing about a whole lot of different things, arguing about who was important and who wasn't, whose work was important, who wasn't, basically who was on the in crowd and who was on the outside. Now obviously churches are nothing like that today, we've moved on, but... Let's see if we can get something out of this verse anyway. Um, So the second verse is from 1 Corinthians 3. Um, Says, so then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you're of Christ, and Christ is of God. So I shared this a little bit of this word with the youth um, during the year. But when I read that, the first thought that God has about you is that you're His. And that's the thing that gives you value. Yeah, the thing that gives you value is that you're a son and a daughter of God. And so, because of that, reading the rest of this passage is like reading your inheritance. So, it's like you, you come into the lawyer's office and uh, they say, Oh, you've got, you come into an in inheritance. And these are the things that you're inheriting. And it starts reading off the list. And the first thing is, you've inherited the whole world. Okay. Yeah, what do I do with that? Let's let's keep going down the list, though. You've inherited the whole world. Um, You've also inherited life and death. Oh, gee. All right. I was just trying to work out what I was going to do with the whole world. What I'm going to do with life and death as well. Um, Yeah, a few years ago, actually, my Nana passed away. Um, So Sasha, my wife, had only known her for a few years. Um, But when it came to inheriting things from my nana, I actually didn't get anything. Um, Sasha, though, got jewellery and uh, vanity table and a whole lot of other useless things. Um, um, because they uh, they had this bond that they developed over lots of years of shopping together. Or as I kind of you know, used to... Term it like who can find the most ridiculous way to waste their husband's money. <laughs> but it just really proved to me that that bonds formed in forever new were a lot stronger than blood. Um, but Paul here continues that your inheritance, you know, is the whole world, is life and death, is the present and the future. So imagine having your inheritance read out to you like that. It's a rhetorical question here, but who's struggled with? Anxiety at some stage. You know, that feeling where yeah, people say your best is yet to come but you feel like life's just getting worse. You know, I feel like my, my worst is still coming. You know, that, that feeling of anxiety. God says, though, there's no need for it because if we look at your inheritance, it says he's given us the present and he's given us the future. They're all ours. So we don't need to be feared about the future. The future is something that's been given to us to create the way that we want it. So the present's ours, the future is ours, but what's missing from that list? The past. So you notice, do you know that your past isn't yours? You're legally, your past isn't yours. So Jesus took it from you, so you legally have no right to keep looking at your past and thinking it belongs to you. It doesn't. You know, but we live in a society where we don't even know other people. We just know their past. Yeah, we judge people based on their past. But God's saying, we can't do that. You, you don't own your past; it's gone. So you don't even know that person sitting next to you. You only know their past. So turn to that person next to you, and no, don't do that. Just keep ignoring them. Don't say anything to them. Just don't give them a high five. We've still got, you yeah, know, 20 minutes of keeping to ourselves. But wait until that person starts renewing their beliefs. Yeah, you won't recognise them. You know, wait until you start renewing your own beliefs. I felt like God was saying this week that one of the, the greatest arguments that's going on is our own p- negative past experiences arguing against the truth of God's word. And we see it come up so many times in Scripture. Think about Moses. God goes to Moses and says, Moses, you're the deliverer of Israel. I want you to go up to Pharaoh and tell him to let all his slave labor go. But don't worry. I mean, he's only the biggest, most powerful person in the world. But you, you just go up to him and tell him to let the slaves go. And Moses kind of starts arguing back and says, God, I just need to bring up to speed on a few things. Like, I can't talk that well. You know, my brother's much better at speaking. I'm not really a public speaker. I've got a starter and everything. Actually, he probably would have said, God, I don't speak too well. And God kind of said back to him, today, junior. I don't think he did actually say that. I don't think God would have made a joke then. But God had to demolish... The lie in the mind of Moses before he could fulfill his destiny, you know. And then later on, the Midianites are coming up against Israel, and uh, and God sent and, and the angel of God though doesn't go up against the Midianites. He goes over to Gideon, and Gideon's hiding in a hole, afraid. And God says to him, "A oh, mighty man of valor, yeah, get up and and I want you to do this and." And Gideon starts arguing. He says, Mr. Angel, I think you've got a bad word here. Um, you know, I'm nobody. I'm the least of the least. You know, my family's no one from nowhere. And Mr. Angel, I don't think you know how the Bible works, but there's not going to be anyone in the Bible that does anything great from a dodgy background. We're never going to read about that. Um, but he was a mighty man of valour, but God had to demolish the arguments in his mind before he could step into that. And once he did, Gideon saved a whole nation. See, the future of the nation wasn't locked up in some external battle. It was locked up in the battle for Gideon's mind. So how much is relying on you winning the battle for your mind? Is it your health? Is it your family? Is it your relationship? Is it your city? Is it your nation? See, it's not what you did or what happened in the past that mattered, but it's about our perspective on it. It's about um, what decisions we make based on those past experiences. I was thinking about um, my daughter, Sophia, who's turning two in a couple of months. Watching her grow up, at the moment, she can only say a few words. Um, So she says them a lot to make up for it. But (laughs) what if she determined her future and what if she determined her beliefs based on what she's capable of at the moment, based on her past, Yeah, what if babies determined what they're capable of based on their past? That would all just be, well, clearly God hasn't given me the gift of walking. (laughs) I can't walk, so I'm never going to walk. You know, we'd have a whole lot of people just crawling around their whole life. You know, so are we still crawling around because we don't believe that we can actually walk? but that's not what happens we know that babies look at their parents and they go I'm made like my dad I'm made like my mum so I'm going to walk too Yeah. think about it like this what's the difference between that and you you might not have healed the sick yet but your dad has you might not have raised the dead yet but your dad has so uh, last slide up Daniel, the last thing I wanted to th- finish off with was a couple of questions that um, God asked Abraham and Ezekiel and I feel like God would ask us this morning as well. So in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve you know, listened to the snake rather than God and they, as a result they questioned, questioned God's goodness enough um, to listen to the snake over God and they hid because they realised they were naked. And God came to them and said, you know, Genesis 3, 11 said, well, who told you that you were naked? Um, which if you remember anything, just remember that verse from today. Who told you that you are naked? So God didn't ask, well, are you naked? Or do you want some clothes? Or did you really eat the apple? Did you remember what the punishment was from the, eating the apple? What he was concerned with was, who told you that? He was concerned with, who's talking to you? Who are you listening to? So when you think, when you think, you know, I'm never going to be healed, God would be there saying, well, who told you that? Well, my past told me that. I'm not healed yet. I haven't been healed yet. So why would I be? Or when, you know, you think, yeah, my marriage is always going to be a struggle. God would say, well, who told you that? Well, my past told me that. It's the way it's always been. Or what about this one? You say, God, Red Bank Plains is just a difficult area for the gospel. Well, who told you that? Well, the past told me that. I mean, and, and a few prophetic words told me that. But Or what about, you know... I can't change. I'm always going to be this way. It's just the way I am. Well, who told you that? My wife. Well, no, it was actually my past told me that. But I feel like God would be saying, you know, why do you call yourself by your past rather than what I call you? Well, God, the reason that I call myself by my past is that that's what all the other Christians do. So I thought I was supposed to be doing it as well. You know, God's saying, well, I thought I thought you wanted to be like me. You know, but I feel like we kind of say, Well, God, I thought being like you meant acting like you, not thinking like you. You know, I'm happy to give you my actions, but you know, do I really have to give you my thoughts as well? You know, I feel like God would be saying to us this morning that your continual agreement with negative past experience is the biggest blockage to freedom in your life. You know, and it's not, it's not all, you know, the devil out there that we're struggling against, but it's our own unredeemed thoughts and our unredeemed beliefs. You know, igno- I, th- I just feel like ignoring this lie would change your life and set you free. Ignoring the lie that because it feels true, it is true. Just because it feels really, 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 really true doesn't mean it is true. So the second question God would be asking this this morning is the question he asked of Ezekiel. So he took Ezekiel to this valley that was full of old and dry bones. There was no life left there at all. And his question to Ezekiel was, Son of man, can these bones live? Do you believe these bones can live? You know, It's clear that Ezekiel's circumstances were packed up against him at this moment. His circumstances were arguing against him. It was at the bottom. There was no hope left. But God didn't ask, do these bones look dead to you? Does it look like, they could, they could, uh, does it look like there's any life left on them? Is there any flesh on them? Can you smell them starting to decay? He didn't, he didn't ask that. He wasn't concerned with what Ezekiel could see in his reality. I mean, he could see that anyway. What God was concerned with is, have you re- renewed your mind enough to believe that these bones can live? You know, I want to do everything that I can do to make sure that the bones in my life don't become dry and and decayed and dead. But in the end, the question is still going to be, have I renewed my mind enough to believe that these bones can live? You know? Have I renewed my mind enough that I can believe that when God says it is finished, that I can believe that it is finished, that those... Those uh, struggles with negative past experiences, with fear or anxiety, depression, with physical pain in your body, that I can still be set free from that. So to finish off this morning, just um, yeah, we could all stand up. I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. Yeah, maybe this morning God's been speaking to you about your own way of thinking. The fact that that you feel captive to your own thoughts rather than having taken them captive. Yeah, This morning I just want to, I feel like God wants to really accelerate that demolishing of the arguments in our mind that come against his truth. So I just want to I finish off with a prayer for you. And I just um, yeah, pray this morning, Father, that you would just demolish those arguments in our own mind that the past is truth. And I just break off over everyone in this room and over all of Life City Church to just break off the lie that everything that feels true is true. I break that off just once and for all this morning. We just pray that word over you that it's finished. And church, I want to speak this over you, something that was given to me once, the saying that put your faith in the facts and the feelings will follow. The facts that you get your identity from God, not from your past. Yeah, redeem your beliefs this morning and wait for that joy to follow. Wait for the joy of the Lord to come. God, this morning we just thank you for taking those boundaries of who we believe we are. You know, and just those, taking those boundaries of what we believe we're capable of. And just expanding them. Thank you that we get our identity from you and not from our past experiences. Just let us live that. Don't let us go back to those past experiences. Don't let us go back to those old ways of thinking. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining Life City Church and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at livecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at livecitychurch.com We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Life City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to livecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.